Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. So with that said, we're in our brand new series, and this series is leading up to Easter. And what I'd like you to do, everybody here, quickly take out your phone that you have with you. I'd like to kick off this series by you taking your phone out, going to your gallery, going to your last photo that you've taken. Is everybody there? Have you checked it out? The one that you've filtered or maybe that you've edited, quickly go to that photo. You can even show it to the person next to you if you think it's that beautiful. Here is what I'm guessing. That is probably a photo of something or someone that you've taken that you see or you find really beautiful. For some of us, it's a selfie (laughs) because you think you're beautiful. And it's amazing. For others, it's our significant others. It's my wife or my husband because I really think she's super beautiful. Just by the way, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary, and she just gets more beautiful. Yes. Some of us, it may be your children. For some of us, it's a beautiful place that just like took your breath away when you saw it and you want to take a photo of this thing because you want to show it, you want to capture the moment. For some of us, it's a beautiful object that you find truly mesmerizing as you're looking at it. And why do we do this? Have you ever wondered why? I mean, we even take photos, then we delete them, then we retake them, then we delete them, then we retake them, then we put on some filters to make sure that they look perfect and pristine and worthy to graze the walls of social media because it's beautiful for us. Why do we love beauty so much? Why is people, why are we drawn to beauty, to beautiful things? In fact, this is not just a you and me thing. You'll never guess what, but it's a worldwide phenomena. I mean, we even have competitions going around. Like last year, there was a competition to what is the most beautiful place on planet Earth And people sent in all of their suggestions and what they think it would be in photos. And then they voted. And then finally, in 2019, they decided the Bolivian Salt Flats was voted the most beautiful place in the world. Check that out. I don't know if the other photo is up there with a man walking. Check this one. It's It's like you're walking on a mirror. It's unbelievably beautiful. And people would spend thousands and thousands of hours putting that together and then ultimately deciding and voting. I mean, we're like obsessed and drawn to beauty. And then there's this other photo that came out. It's called The Chase. And this is voted the most beautiful wildlife photo ever taken just because of what it represents, how they're busy chasing down and chasing around there in the waters. It's just beautiful as it was captured. The ancient Greeks actually developed something that they call the beauty pie. Okay? This is a mathematical equation that the mathematicians came up with to determine what is the most beautiful you can possibly look. I'm talking about ancient Greek. Can you imagine that? And according to this, in 2019, they applied this this beauty, this pie equation, the beauty pie or the beauty equation, and they discovered and concluded that supermodel Bella Hadid, which is behind me, is according to that equation, the most beautiful woman in the world. 
people are truly obsessed with beauty. We're drawn to it. We're drawn by its beauty. We gaze on it. We stand in awe of it. We want to share it with the world. We follow the beautiful. I mean, how many people is following ugly people? Not really lots, am I correct? <laughs> we all go for the beautiful guys and for the beautiful girls. We're drawn to beauty. It captivates us. But what I find really interesting was even though we are so obsessed with beauty, Jesus came in such a way, the Bible tells us, that people did not find him beautiful. He did not appear beautiful. He wasn't beautiful. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2. Listen to how he writes about God's son that will come. He says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Speaking about the Messiah, Jesus, he will be coming. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I really find this interesting. Why would God present himself in a way that we would really not be running after? Why would he not be so beautiful? Because that's the obvious thing to do. It just makes sense. And um, the appearance of something that it's not even worthy at gazing at, how is it possible that this person or this someone that's unworthy to even be mentioned because of his beautiful appearance, yet is the one that 2,000 years later still causes a global movement spanned across all the continents on this planet, people following him. How could it that be that an undesirable one would be the one that changes so many lives? How could it be that Jesus would draw all men to him, yet he is not the beautiful one? How is it that he captivates our hearts as we're sitting here, but yet we shouldn't be desiring him when he walked on this planet? It's because Jesus' beauty is not a surface beauty. He has a hidden beauty, like the roots. And his beauty confronts us. And his beauty ultimately transforms us. And that's what we're going to be chatting about and why we're going to be going on this journey and this series leading up to Easter. I want to invite each and every one of you to come with us on this journey as we're going to be standing in awe of the beautiful one. We're going to be gazing upon him. And today, specifically, I want to talk to you about his hidden beauty, how his beauty confronts us, and then ultimately how his beauty would transform us. So Jesus' beauty, it's not a surface beauty, it's a hidden beauty. And I want you to quickly take you back to Isaiah 53 verse 2, where Isaiah writes the following, and he likens Jesus' posture and his appearance to that of a root coming out of dry ground. A root coming out of dry ground. Have you ever seen a root? It is not beautiful, people. It's ugly. 
It's one of those things that you really don't go out into your garden, go and get a root out of the ground, and then put it in a beautiful vase and take some photos of it. It's just ugly. You don't want to touch it. I mean, we don't look at roots because they're beautiful. We eat roots, and we don't even call them roots. We call them carrots because it's just too ugly to think I'm going to be eating a root, so I'm calling it a carrot. You guys get what I'm saying? <laughs> roots are really not beautiful. It's ugly. And Isaiah says God will reveal his son like a root. Like something springing up. We will not recognize his beauty. Have you ever wondered why? Why the world would not recognize the beauty of Jesus? Why would God do this? Why would he put it in such a way that when Jesus walks this planet, we will not recognize him? Why and how is it possible, think about this, for the Son of God to walk on this planet and not even be noticed? How is it possible? I believe the reason why God did it is because we are so often offended by the way Jesus came. That's probably the reason why we missed him. It's because we're offended by how he came. You see, the world expected a ruler, an entitled proud ruler coming down. This is the kingdom of God. But yet, Jesus came in humility. And the world expected a king that wants to be served day in and day out. Yet Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. The world expected a king being born in a palace surrounded by riches. Yet Jesus came in a filthy little old stable surrounded by animals. The world awaited a conqueror, a warrior, a victorious king that would come and establish his reign. Yet Jesus was a simple carpenter coming from Nazareth. And you know what they say about Nazareth? Exactly what they say sometimes about Bloom. What can come out of Nazareth? What good could ever come from there? And there comes God. You see, we are so offended because we have certain expectations that we place on God, you and me. We love putting our own heart's desires as the expectations that we'd like God to fulfill. Here's the reason why I think we have this anticlimax, this contradiction, and why we struggle to see God in the midst of this moment. I believe God's busy telling us something. He's busy sharing something of our hearts, revealing our hearts in a sense, calling it to the front. He's saying, guys, you want me to reflect your desires. But I want you to reflect my character. That's why <laughs> I came in this way. I want you to reflect my character. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've ever wondered why God is so different in so many ways, it's because he's showing you what he made you to be, a reflection of his beauty and his character. But we impose our earthly little baby desires, and we want God to fulfill them. Yet God had such a greater and a bigger and a more hidden beauty that I think, as we look at it, would easily offend us because it doesn't fit into our box. 
And that's the picture that we get from the story of Jesus. Now, not only does his beauty offend us, his hidden beauty, but it also confronts us. It really challenges us. When we get into view of this beauty, listen to this, verse 3 of that same piece of scripture in Isaiah, it says the following. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. So it's not like, Jesus, you're just offending us and you're kind of not appearing beautiful to us. Now, because you look the way you look, we despise you, we reject you. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Why do we despise Jesus when he's so beautiful, when he is the beautiful one? Well, I believe it's because Jesus confronts us and he confronts our shortcomings. I see there's someone else speaking like crazy up there, the birds in the, birds in the sky. The reality is Jesus confronts us with his beauty. What do I mean by this? Well, <clears throat> in order to tell you guys, I want to quickly take you on a journey of the same man that we're reading from, Isaiah, in his book, he writes a story about himself. Now, if you don't know Isaiah, he was quite the preacher guy. He was known for the eloquence of his words and how he worked with his words. I mean, he was the preacher in his time. He worked in one of those spaces in the temple where people would like just like gaze and wonder at the way he could speak so beautifully and work so eloquently with his words. That was the thing that was probably, in Isaiah's eyes, the thing that's most beautiful about himself. We all have something like that. Like for Isaiah, it is my words. I can speak beautiful. Maybe for you, it's your six-pack. I also have one, but it's hidden, just by the way. So what is the beautiful thing that you hold on to, that you just always want to show? That's kind of like that space where Isaiah was. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah tells us of a moment where he experienced the presence of God. God came down, and Isaiah was in his presence. Listen to this. I'm going to read here the second half of verse 3. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what Isaiah is witnessing is he's witnessing the, the hosts of heaven, the angels, the, the cherubim and, and the seraphim and all of, these, all of these creatures proclaiming the holiness and the wonder of God. God is coming down and people and the heavens is singing his praise. And then in verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. God is here. Isaiah is standing in a space, and he knows he should not be there, because God is holy. I will not make it there. That's the picture. God came from very far, and he came close. Listen to the very first thing. Isaiah mentions when he's in God's presence, literally the next verse, verse 5. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Listen to this. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Why is this happening? 
Do you note that the one thing that Isaiah thought would make him stand out above the crowd is the very first thing that he's confronted with, the moment he is in God's beautiful presence? It's like my lips, I, I'm the one, I can speak. I'm the guy with the words, man. And now I'm in God's presence and suddenly I don't have a word. My, wor my, my words are unclean. My lips are unclean. I cannot speak. The one thing that he thought would make him worthy, makes him beautiful, would become the one thing that he immediately in that moment be confronted with and despised. Why? Well, maybe I can give you a quick example. I don't know, while you were in school, there um, might have been ladies. There might have been a beautiful girl. And you knew she was like the popular, the beautiful girl. How do you feel around that girl? It's like, I really don't want to be spending too much time around that girl. Because she reminds me of all my imperfections and what I don't have. Or guys, maybe you were the supposed to be rugby captain. And that's what you were aiming for. But the next moment, there was that other guy who was the rugby captain. And you like really didn't want to spend time in his presence. Because it's crushing you. It's like this blow. It reminds you of the fact that you're not good enough. You cannot make it. And what I'm explaining here is mere human beauty. It's mere human glory that you're comparing yourselves to. And it's crushing you. Can you imagine the blow Isaiah must have taken in that moment when he was in the presence of perfect beauty and glory? I mean, there isn't one whose words can be more comforting, more powerful than God himself. His words created the universe. And here this man is standing and he's confronted with his own shortcomings, his own iniquities. Because God came close. And that's the problem. That's the problem with beauty, guys, is that when we're in God's presence, when he would come close and we would be in the presence of true beauty, we will not be able to stand. It will crush us. Like you cannot stand being just in mere human beauty sometimes. Now we're talking perfect beauty. This is the picture that Isaiah is painting for the readers. But there's hope. There is hope for this man. Verse 6, next one. He says the following. Then one of the seraphim, that's a weird flying creature, <laughs> flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with thongs from the altar. So here is a creature, crazy creature, taking a hot burning coal from something called an altar. An altar is a place where we make sacrifices. That's the thing. And a sacrifice would stand for being purifying you, making you worthy, being in front of God. And here he comes and he takes something hot, something burning, something that symbolizes purity from that place of sacrifice. He comes over to Isaiah, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. And the next moment, Isaiah can stand in God's presence. What happened here? What happened here? Well, there was something pure that came over and touched Isaiah. 
and it purified all of the iniquity, all of the injustice, whatever it might have been that those lips have been speaking, it came to clean it up and cleansed this man in the presence of God. And he could stand there. He could be in his presence because not only does God's beauty confront us, but it also comes, and there's a promise in what happened with this man, and it comes to transform us. It's really interesting in the Old Testament when you would touch anything impure, its impurity would transfer to you. And you would not be able to go into God's presence unless you go through lots of cleaning rituals and purifying rituals. And here we see Isaiah touching who is impure, something pure. And instead of him transferring his impurity to it, it transfers its purity to him. And he stands pure in God's presence. This is remarkable. This has profound implications. And Isaiah goes on, and we're back in Isaiah 53, and he speaks about it from verse 4. He says, surely he took up our pain, and here he's talking about why the sacrifice would be able to cleanse us. The one thing that God will sacrifice will be able to cleanse us. And he says the following, surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now, I don't know if you've noticed what I've noticed while I'm reading this. But all of the ugly stuff that's happening to this Messiah that Isaiah is busy describing is because he came close to us. All of the ugly is busy happening to the perfect lamb because of us. I mean, he was born for our sicknesses so that we can be healed. He was carried for our pains, yet we regarded him stricken. He was struck down for us. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquity. His punishment for our peace was on him. And the picture that we see here and the picture of the cross, if you look at it, should be one of the most appalling pictures you will ever see. There hangs an innocent man, body ripped to shreds. Why? Because of our ugliness. He bore our sin and our suffering. Now the cross is ugly. It is super ugly. It is something that grips your heart when you're getting confronted with it. But it was the only thing that put us in a position to be able to boldly approach his throne and see the true beauty of who God is. Because even though it's so ugly, it's also the paradox of the most beautiful sight that anyone could ever see. Once you see Jesus on the cross and you realize, firstly, that it's me that put him there. It's my rebellious heart. It's me. It's I. I did this. 
And then realizing that Jesus is the one that said, I am willingly laying down my life. My life is not taken from me. I'm giving it. Because I want to take the mess that you've made. I want to come and clean it up. I want to invite Jaco and the worship team to come and join here. Because we want to really make this a tangible thing this morning. Jesus speaks about two things in Matthew 23. He talks to the Pharisees and the teachers and the hypocrites. And I quickly want to explain what's going to happen before I'm going to invite you guys to join me. He talks to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and he says, You are like whitewashed tombs, which looks beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. Guys, these were the elite in terms of looking beautiful. I mean, they had it all. They knew all the words, all the scriptures. They were in God's temple. They were the chosen race. They were beautiful. Yet Jesus described them as being ugly, like whitewashed tombs with dead inside of them. There is nothing more ugly that you can be confronted with on this planet than death itself. Now, this is the religious group. Never mind the guys living outside. And we all love doing that, you know. Just have the best Facebook photos on Facebook. <laughs> Present and tell only the best stories of our achievements and our successes. Make sure that you wear a large enough T-shirt that people can't see you've been eating too much McDonald's. We love putting up a beautiful face on the outside. Yet God sees through that. And what he did comes and it melts the inside. It comes to clean it up. Ezekiel puts it like this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I couldn't help but think about Pilate this morning. While I was reflecting on Jesus giving his life and coming to transform my heart, giving me a new heart, not just cleaning me up a little bit. And I've been trying to do that myself for quite some time. And many times we try and do what Pilate does. We're overwhelmed with the ugliness of our lives and the decisions we've made. It's like this. We put our hands in the dirt. Here it goes. Let's go deep. Do you see that? This is what we do. And then before long, we caught up with seriously dirty hands. And what's the first thing you want to do? If you're a little small child, where do you go? And you want to wipe yourself clean. Almost like Pilate did. Like washing his hands. Trying to take in a neutral position. That's the one side of it. The other side of it was to try and hide it. Like the religious leaders did. And then Jesus comes in and he says, I'm the beautiful one. Look at this beautiful cross behind me. I'm the beautiful one. I'm the prince of peace. I'm the light of the world. 
I'm the shining knight. I'm the one that came to save. I'm the one that everybody will look at and I will draw all men to me. I am truly beautiful. And he says, but you can't stand me. I'm too much. (laughs) I'm crushing you when I'm in your presence. So let me take away the thing that's overwhelming you, the guilt, the shame, and the pain. And he offers his life for us to wipe away all of the mess that we've made. And we dirty him up while he's cleaning us bright, brand new and clean. I don't know where you are. I don't know what things are coming up in your heart. Maybe there are some things that you've done. Maybe there are some guilty things and shameful things that you're trying to hide. And maybe there are some things that you're trying to work your way into becoming clean again. Let me tell you, you're only dirtying up yourself more. It's just becoming a crazy big mess. There's one way, one way only. And it's for you to allow the beauty of Jesus to transform your heart. So this morning, we've asked Yaku and the guys to prepare a song. Just like a little song, ministry song, it's not so much about you guys singing it. You can listen to the words. But I want to ask you to come as I've done and come and proclaim that there's only one that can truly cleanse you. There's only one that can give you a new heart that's not filled and overwhelmed by greed or guilt or shame, but that will be transformed by his love. Let's do that. I want to invite you to come to the front and join me. I want you to look at the cross. I want you to see the beauty The beauty of one that was willing to take all of your guilt, all of your pain, all of the afflictions, all of your iniquities upon himself so that you may be cleansed, so that you may no longer be known as a sinner, but now step into a new reality as a child of the Most High, a prince, a princess, because if your father is the king, the automatic connection would be that you are his prince or his princess. Let's pray together and thank God. Father, this morning, as we get to experience something of your handiwork in a very simplistic symbol, something of how your holiness, your sacrifice came to touch our hearts and make it new, like you've touched Isaiah's lips. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that we would not be able to stop sharing the hidden beauty that's hidden behind all of our ugliness and all of our afflictions, when we really get to see the heart of our Savior, I pray that we would not be able to stop sharing that beauty with the world out there. And whenever the world is confronted with their own ugliness, that we would not be quick to judge, but that we would remember this moment and be quick to point 
to the one that can truly wash us clean. We will not be whitewashed tombs. No. We will have life and have it in abundance and share it wherever we walk. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.